Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking about healing your birth story. Birth does its own thing, and often it's harder than expected, even when the experience matches the birth plan. How can you heal? Is there a way to prevent birth trauma? Pam England is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Megan Othling, a fabulous birth doula and childbirth educator in Albuquerque, who is all about offering women the information and support they need to make their own empowered birth choices. Learn more at womenofvalorbirth.com. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Simply Breastfeeding, a prenatal breastfeeding course to help nursing parents feel confident with their newborns. Learn more at birthful.com slash simplybreastfeeding and use the code birthful for 15% off. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. As always, thank you so, so much for listening and all the love you give the show. If what you hear is helpful, make sure you subscribe so you won't miss a thing. And if you'd like to further support this podcast, then support its sponsors, who in this week's case are Simply Breastfeeding, Megan Othling, and Expectful. All right. It is fitting that I am renewing this episode with Pam England on Healing Your Birth Story this week, as Friday is World Maternal Mental Health Awareness Day. The way you birth significantly impacts the way you step into your new reality as a parent. And with as many as 34% of birthing people reporting their births as traumatic, this is an extremely serious issue. As an aside, it's really important to note that more often than not, people point to the way they were treated and cared for as the source of that trauma, not so much the action of giving birth itself. So if you are expecting, do consider any red flags that you may be having from your care provider or anybody else on your team. Make sure you have a birth team that is truly going to respect and hear you during the birth process. The only way we are going to make a significant change to this immensely important issue is through awareness. And that's why I'm renewing this episode today. Um, don't be ashamed of your story, of what happened to you. Let's support and embrace one another through these pivotal processes. And if you feel like you want to do some more laser-targeted support on the issue, the amazing Kristen Pascucci from Birth Monopoly is in the middle of a Kickstarter Kickstarter campaign to raise funds for the Mother May I documentary as we as I record. Search Mother May I at Kickstarter.com to learn more and watch the powerful trailer that they've already created. The idea behind the project is to turn action into change. And as consumers, we have that power and it is a, a way to speak out. So heads up that this campaign runs until Mother's Day. All right, so in this episode, I talk with the fabulous Pam England on ways you can heal your birth story. So let me tell you about a little bit about Pam first. She is a former certified nurse midwife who worked in hospital birth center and home birth settings. Her interest in preventing and resolving emotional birth trauma led her to earn a master's degree in psychology counseling. And inspired by her own birth experiences, Pam developed Birthing from Within, which is an innovative holistic approach to childbirth and postpartum preparation. She is also the author of the widely known book Birthing from Within, written in 1998, and 
she is she wrote the more recent ancient map for modern birth preparation passage and personal growth for your childbearing year um so she's also the author of that pam is the mother of two grown sons one born via cesarean birth and the other at home and each birth experience gave her insight humility compassion and a holistic perspective of birth in our culture pam it's such a delight to have you here today thanks andriana one of the things I like about what you do is you weave in evidence-based information along with ancient traditions and sort of more that spiritual part because we can't separate our mind and body, right? So you kind of bring the two together in everything that you do. Yeah, I try to. Yeah, yeah. So that is, I think, what makes your approach to birth trauma and healing birth stories so unique because it goes a little bit beyond um, just the telling of the story. Going, I wanted to define a little bit of uh, what birth trauma is. Uh, on your website, you have that anyone who gives birth or witnesses a birth, a birthing mother, a father, or a birth attendant, can experience emotional birth trauma. They may feel deep sadness, regret, anger, shame, grief, blame, numbness, or disappointment about events that happen surrounding birth. With that in mind, why is it important for us to acknowledge the emotional birth trauma that can happen? Well, you know, there's the most common birth story that people tell and, and ask about and focus on our culture is the medical birth story. So um, when people tell their birth story, they often, because of the way they've been trained to, to hear about birth through the Internet, birth stories, which are mostly medical stories, or through childbirth classes, or just from the point of view of their caretakers, they often define their birth as my labor was this long, I had this intervention, I birthed this way, uh, this is the reason I had to have this and that. So they sort of tell a, a story that distances them from the emotional birth story, and that's called the medical birth story. And of course it has value to a certain extent. But beneath the medical birth story, there's, a, there's also a social birth story. And there's a, that's the kind of story that's, that's been edited, if you will, modified to condense the story in a way that's palatable to the audience, whoever's asking about the story, if you're at a party or a birth story circle or something like that. So it's a, it's a modified story, kind of condensed, and doesn't really talk about the, the, the underlying story, the, most, the deepest, most uh, important story to that person. So the emotional birth story um, is important to talk about because from that emotional birth story, the storyteller could be man or woman, or it could be birth attendant or, or or mother, or anyone who witnesses a birth. From that 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 sort of factual, sort of superficial story, there's an emotional story, and from the emotional story, the person begins to make a belief about themselves because something happened or didn't happen or they couldn't stop it, and from that belief that they make about themselves they begin to live as if that belief were true. And it modifies their parenting, their relationships, their future relationships with other birth attendants and birth plans and so forth. So what I'm hearing is that, and, and it is true, like I, as a doula, and I do get 
you know, hear a lot of the medical birth stories and then some of the social stories. And it's only when we do postpartum work that we get to do some emotional um, listening of the birth story. But yeah, usually... But, but even postpartum, even postpartum, Adriana, a lot of the stories that are told postpartum are also, just, just, to, just to clarify, they're also medical or social. They're, they're not... That's, they may they may feel emotional, but they've been modified to not really go to the heart of the story. Right, right. Um, and I think I'm more when I'm doing, you know, postpartum work as a doula and going yeah. over that birth story, then I I I get that glimpse of mm-hmm. the emotional. And sometimes even sure. as as birth is happening, but you do find that if if the parents um, feel that, and especially the mom feels that she was prepared for you know had prepared or was expecting one type of birth story and something different happened that mm-hmm. there is a lot of emotional conflict and mm-hmm. you know feelings of guilt feelings of of being broken of not being able you know of uh failure mm-hmm. um and right. when a mom is in that feeling what mm-hmm. so you do a lot of workshops in terms of healing from your birth story and birth medicine mm-hmm. what are some things that a mom that could be helpful for them at that point to start in a path of healing after a difficult birth well that's a really uh, that's a huge question yeah there's <laughs> um first of all you know um i i sort of think about to think about who your birth story listener is and to carefully choose your birth story listener rather than telling your story over and over randomly to anybody without really sussing out whether that person's going to listen deeply or be in competition with your story or in judgment of your story. Mm. Because when a birth story listener that you've randomly chosen, um, if I dare say carelessly chosen, um, doesn't listen deeply and the feedback is, even if it's contained verbally, they know better than to say the things they're thinking. We've done little experiments in our uh, workshops that the storyteller can perceive that they're being judged through other nonverbal cues, and they begin to morph the story. So that's called birth story morphing. And they begin to hold back or be more positive or leave huge chunks of the story out or curtail the emotion in order to gain approval or or not upset or get judged by that story listener. So I think the first thing is to sort of begin to think about your story as something that is not something to tell as casually as so many people are telling stories now, not to write casually on the, on the Internet, because as you know, when people write their stories openly on the Internet, they often get all kinds of really intense feedback, and it's deeply upsetting. Mm-hmm. So... That would be the first thing. Um, and it's such a big question, you know, how to begin healing your own birth story. Um, some people have a lot of internal, I mean, they have a lot of, um, what do we call um, they're sort of attuned to doing inner work or being introspective, I think is the word I'm looking for, kind of. And they have a strong sense of love for themselves or a kind of a rational way of thinking. And they may be able to sort their story out bit by bit. But when someone is very 
wounded or, or tends to be emotional or is very emotional in a kind of a raw state from the birth experience. The story that they're telling themselves is going to be going through lots of different changes um, that they themselves may not be able to heal themselves because they're the ones telling it. They're the ones who are, you know, putting the emotional spin on it. So sometimes it's hard to heal your own birth story. And it, and it helps to have a birth story listener who knows how to listen to a story and give you constructive feedback to help you sort it out. And I think you really hit on a key point of choosing your listener wisely because mm-hmm. some, you know, often, like you say, if you put your story out on, on internet, it was socially to a wide spectrum, putting yourself out there in such a vulnerable way, you can get feedback that makes things worse. <laughs> I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, if they're sort of dismissing your your what you what you experienced what you feel happened yeah that's right is it harder have you found that now that we've got so many ways of sharing these stories that it's getting harder to heal the stories Hmm. i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to answer that because i don't know how people healed them before we had so much social birth storytelling and internet social uh, internet storytelling. So I don't know what it was like before. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, you know, I also think back on when my when I was growing up. My, I'm quite I'm I'm quite a bit older than most of the um, the childbearing age at this point, <laughs> 61 years old. But my grandmother and aunts and my mother never told the long detailed medical life stories that are told today. It just if they did it would it would have been in private, but I'm not even sure it happened in private. I mean, even in old novels and old stories, the reference to birth was much shorter. And now um, the storytelling process itself has become really personal and really long and really detailed, and that kind of fascinates me. So um, there's also to think about how did women even perceive the fate of their birth outcome did it used to be um, it was in God's hands it was religious it was it was something they couldn't understand so they just thought they kind of just chalked it up to a, a medical story that some kind of brief thing a doctor told them and they never really examined it I, I don't really know because we there, no one ever studied birth stories before this kind of I would call it crazy period of storytelling that we're in it's just it's a kind of a new phenomenon, I mm-hmm. think. And I do think that it's, in a way, the fact that birth stories are out there is beneficial because we've kind of become so detached from birth that if mm-hmm. the only reality of birth that we're getting is from, you know, media, from TV shows and where everybody, their water breaks and labor hits hard right away and you got to run to the hospital which we know is rarely the case, mm-hmm. if that's all you know, having be, being able to, to at least read other aspects and read about variations of birth and, you know, course of normal birth can be helpful in taking away baggage of what you might not know about birth. Mm, I dare say, though, it can also be harmful. Mm. 
And I think that's a perspective we don't hear very often. So I do want to hear a lot more about that. But before we do, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Just because breastfeeding is natural, it does not mean that it is easy. It is normal to experience a few or a lot of difficulties at the beginning, but the more you prepare for what's to come, the higher your chances of establishing a good breastfeeding relationship with your baby. Now, a great way to prepare is by taking the Simply Breastfeeding online class created by registered nurses and breastfeeding specialists Cindy and Jana. In this class, you'll learn how to recognize what your baby is telling you and how to meet your baby's needs starting in the very first hour after birth. You'll understand the basics of breastfeeding and be able to return to them if you encounter difficulties, and you will feel confident knowing the answers to the most frequently asked questions. The first weeks of breastfeeding don't have to be filled with anxiety and unknown. Relax knowing you've got this. Go to birthful.com slash simply breastfeeding to learn more. And as a birthful listener, you get 15% off if you use the code birthful when you register. Go to birthful.com slash simply breastfeeding or click the link on the show notes to get on your way. And we're back talking with Pam England about healing your birth story. And just before the break, Pam, you were saying that sharing birth stories could be harmful. Tell us more about that. So just as Hollywood maybe makes it into a comedy every time or else a trauma, like you said, you know, very rapid, um, you know, kind of fast forward to, you know, first contraction, baby's being born. Um, So that that leaves one impression, then seeing women lying on their backs in a hospital, um, that that creates another impression. But, you know, every story creates like a little movie in the story listener's mind. Mm -hmm. So whether, um, so depending on how that story is told and what's, so that, for me, there's nine stories after a delivery. You know, there's, there's nine phases of the birth story as it goes through a transformation from birth to, to complete healing. So depending on the day that you're hearing a particular birth story from a particular, you know, whatever gate she's at, you're hearing a version of the story. But if you don't know that you're hearing that, you think that is the story. And you take it as the way the birth happened. And then, but not only that, the person who's listening isn't actually hearing the story that's being told particularly, you know, you know specifically, I mean, they're, they're hearing it through their own filters. So they're creating their own movie of it, their own impressions of it, their own meaning. They're comparing it against what they believe or don't believe or would have done or wouldn't have done. So when so many stories are being told, I would say, in an incomplete way, in a not deeply listened way, all of those stories are creating what I call the mythology of birth in our culture. They are creating the expectation of what birth will be and what birth shouldn't be. And... I think this half listening and this rampant birth storytelling is actually harmful, personally, because a person doesn't know how to listen to the story through, um, I would call it deep listening skills, so they're listening to it through their own filters. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have a novice woman, a woman who's never given birth. And from the time she was little, she was hearing birth stories, especially nowadays, not so much, like I say, when I was growing up. But, and the stories she hears, however emotionally charged they are on the telephone or in the living room or if they're going to these uh, birth story meetings and the kids are sort of playing on the floor and they're hearing story after story after story of birth trauma. And the people think, oh, they're just playing. They don't know what's going on. They're, they're, they're actually, kids are actually making images and beliefs about birth, about pain, about hospitals, about 
what what should have happened, what didn't happen, who's strong, who's weak, and that's imprinting them without being any any capacity for them to question it or or be rational about it. It's just going in as if it were a fact. So from there, you go through all kinds of just casual birth storytelling from your friends and, and like I say, you know, just all these different ways. By the time a woman gets pregnant, she is so changed by all the stories she's heard um, that unless she examines those as part of her prenatal preparation, she'll be judging herself against what happens according to, you know, it depends on how she's programmed, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether she should have or shouldn't have done something. She'll, she'll choose things not based on what needs to happen, but based on a decision she made a long time ago. Like, you know, when a little kid hears, hears a, an emotionally charged birth story, it's inevitable that they're going to say to themselves, it's like a little promise, when I grow up, I'm never going to let them do that to me. Or I'm never going to do that. Or I'm absolutely going to do that to avoid this. But they don't really understand the, the entire picture. But they make it, they, I, I call that the first birth plan. And it's made by the time a kid is 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. But it, no one checks in to, to know how it was made or if it's been made, but it's been made. So when she gets to childbearing age, she begins to choose her childbirth classes or her caregiver or her place of birth or what she's going to have or not have, oftentimes unwittingly based on this very deep early stories that she heard. So I'm, I'm actually very concerned about how stories are affecting people and we're not even aware of it. So what would be better ways to to listen to the stories and to share the stories? What would be a better way to connect um, without having it be, you know, incomplete stories that are harming us, as you're saying? Right. Well, you know, I've thought about this for years. And as I began to listen to stories, I, I sort of noticed this pattern of how the story evolves through these nine gates. I call them nine story gates. And it seems to me... This is an idealistic answer, but if we could, if we could refrain from telling the complete story to random strangers, especially to young women or to children or to women who are pregnant, the incomplete story would be any story under, I would say, gate six, which is, um, so the story is still kind of unprocessed and probably still a lot of emotional confusion going on. If she could refrain from telling that story to randomly, um, I think it would be helpful to both her and to the listeners. So, how to listen? So, how to listen more carefully is to also choose a private place, a quiet place, and have some time to un- unfold the story, unpack the story, without doing it in a coffee shop or in a car or at a party, or in large groups of people who aren't really listening or competing to tell you their story or to make, to make you know, kind of, ha- kind of half-baked responses to the, to the story you're telling. I think this would be very important if we took our story seriously enough to create a, a little sacred space. I mean, I don't think we have to burn incense or anything like that when I say sacred, but, but an isolated, um, to create time, carve out some time and, and privacy with, when there's not distraction of children, telephones, and other things going on. And um, it, takes a, it takes some training to learn how to listen to a story without comparing it to your story or your values, to, to really listen to a story. Not many people can do it. And I think we need maybe to go through 
just sort of give us the highlights of possible of those gates, just so we understand what the final outcome of of a healing story would be, like where, oh, sure. what is the place, place where you want to get um, in the journey? Well, how, how it goes is this. When a woman first gives birth, she's in an altered state. She's so immersed in the experience in labor land, she doesn't actually have a story. She's often in a wordless state. So the first gate is no story. And then the next gate she's at is the gate of gratitude, and relief. She's glad that it's over. She's great. She's grateful to everybody who did everything for her, anything for her. Um, and um, sometime between that, no story and the gate of gratitude. She's up, but she's also being. She's also being. This is like a side thing, but people are telling her her story that that was the best thing they ever saw or it was the scariest birth they ever saw or she was this way or she was that way or they're glad that she didn't die. or you know, So they're actually starting to morph her story just by the kind of casual comments and judgments about what she did or didn't do. So we have the no story. We have the great gate. of second gate is great gratitude and relief. Third gate is a relationship story. And she begins to think about who was there for me and who wasn't there for me in the way that I expected and in a surprising way. So she's beginning to categorize the relationship story, which turns out to be probably one of the most important stories of the nine gates. And then she goes, she has to now construct a social story, the one that other people want to hear, the one that that explains what happened without too much detail or will get her approval. One example of that is a woman has, um, she's, she's having a cesarean for herpes, but because of her own, shame about that or, or, what, or afraid of what people would think about it. Um, when people call in after the surgery, she tells them she had to have a cesarean because her baby was too big. So that's like a social story that's been morphed, but it also creates what we call birth story virus. It spreads this idea that big babies can't be born except by a cesarean. So it gets very, very confusing very, very quickly. But that's a social story where we try to compete with others. My my birth was really beautiful. My birth was really traumatic. And we almost like, there's almost like a competition between women doing this 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 particular gate. Um, and it goes on and on for a period of time. And then there's the medical story, which which can be mixed in with the social story, obviously. But the medical story is that kind of very popular moment by moment, intervention by intervention, detail by detail, that can be very long and um, difficult to listen to and stressful to tell and retell. That's the medical story. And then the next gate is the sixth gate. And the sixth gate is um, the gate of the two archetypes we call the victim and the judge. And it's like the, these, the victim and judge voices in our heads are like in a revolving door. And they pick out moments in the birth, maybe not the entire birth, but specific moments when decisions were made or people did things or didn't do things that they wished they would have or wouldn't have done and so forth. And they, they take those moments and they tell themselves another story about the story, like you should have done this. And then the victim says, yes, but I tried really, really hard. It's not my fault. Um, da, 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 da. And then the judge will say, um, well, you should have read more. You should have uh, written a better birth plan. You should have uh, spoken up for yourself. You should have been more brave. And then, of course, the victim is trying to defend and explain herself. So this goes around and around and around in the mind of the storyteller. But... When a storyteller is with a person who's not a good story listener, the story listener will then play the part of the judge sometimes 
and put the woman to be in her victim. And the more the victim defends her story, the more she feels judged by her storyteller, so the two of them will go into a spin. And she can get stuck there for quite a while. So this is the first through the sixth gate. And so long as a person is working through these versions of the story, they're not really ready to teach or to help someone else with their story or probably shouldn't tell their story like at childbirth classes when they come back because they're telling an incomplete process story. Now, at the seventh gate, she begins to come up out, out of what I call the underworld and she begins to sort of ask herself what really happened and she begins to want to find meaning in the story not explanations and, and rational like medical reasons but um, necessarily but something more of a personal nature she begins to change her language around her story and at this point she's becoming very hungry for the truth of the story for who she is because this happened to her and now her huntress archetype is awakened and the huntress begins to look for meaning within within herself not in the culture not blaming others, not looking for a medical story, but looking for who am I because this happened? And, um, you know, how did I know to make that decision? And why do I, why is this story so important to me or this part of my story so important to me? So now in the huntress part of herself, she begins to track her own mind and her own heart. And this is what some people can do this on their own because they're natural huntresses, you might say. And But many people need a story listener who knows how to help her do that, to help her track, to witness her tracking, to ask those questions that help her stay focused. And when she finishes tracking her story all the way back to, if you will, it's almost the origin of why it's important to her, she now begins to find out she gives she gives the story new meaning, but she also has a new belief about herself because it happened. So, for example, instead of thinking, I am weak because I had an epidural, I am a bad mother because my baby went to NICU, I, you know, some some very personal belief, I am something. Um, she begins to challenge that and create a new belief about herself, and that's where the healing occurs. This well, is a profound moment. Mm. And we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to let's explore what that new belief would would sound like. Resetting your nervous system and mindfully bringing yourself back to calm a few times throughout your day can have a really positive impact in your life and also help you get a better night's sleep. Developing a meditation practice can be a super simple and incredibly beneficial way to shift your lifestyle habits, but figuring out where to start can be a little daunting. So let Expectful help you with that. The Expectful app is one of my favorite resources to help pregnant and new moms find their calm. I really like that it's designed to fulfill your pregnant or new parent needs by focusing on whatever you want help with at any particular moment. Whether it's better sleep, connection with baby and partner, embracing your identity, lessening stress, dealing with uncertainty, Expectful makes it super easy for you. If you have five minutes, you have time to meditate. Go to expectful.com slash birthful to sign up for their free two-week trial and check it out for yourself. Don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. So expectful.com slash birthful. And we're back. So Pam, what would that new 
belief sound like? So if it's not, well, I'm a bad mother because baby went to the NICU, what would that truly be? Yeah, it would be, um, I'm really sad that my baby went to the NICU. That's, I'm really sad that my baby suffered that way. And I did the best I could. And I was there for my baby as soon as I could be. Um, you know, sometimes women will labor for, say, 30 hours or something, and um, then they have an epidural, and they think that they're weak, and they could have tried harder, or they should have done something else. And during the healing story, it goes, well, you know, it, it isn't like I am strong, or it's not, my, you know, it's not a defensive posture. It's more like, you know, um, I really would have liked to have experienced birth all the way through without drugs. And um, I did do my best, and based on the circumstances of my birth, um, I am resourceful. I did the next best thing. So it's not, it's not like a, 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 a pancake that you flip from I am weak to I am strong. <laughs> it's, more of a, it's more of a complex uh, uh, understanding of oneself. Now, when one, when one gets through that gate, they go to the gate of the love warrior or the elder, and at this gate... The odd thing is, I've noticed this, this is really profound. You start off with no story because you, you just were in the experience and it is what it was. It is what it is. And when you get to the love warrior gate, there is no story. So someone who's completed their journey and you ask them about their birth, they might just say, yeah, I gave birth, yeah. You know. um, but they don't go through every single thing or what it meant or they don't download the whole story and they say well what is it you'd like to know and um but there and they would look at the person that they were who was asking and stop what this person needs to hear and why they need to hear it before they gave the answer so it would come from a place of love not only for themselves for whatever happened but also for their listener and it comes from a place of wisdom so they would tell that they would want to find out what is it you want to know how would my story be helpful to you what are you searching for through me? And this is this is when the person can become a really powerful story listener when she's made it up to the seventh, to the eighth and the ninth gates. Mm -hmm. Do you find? And I know that we don't have there. You know what, what you were saying in the beginning. There's not a large part of the population that gets to that point because we kind of mm -hmm. get stuck on our stories um, mm -hmm. somewhere along the line. So we're not listening to that way and moving birth the process further along into a healing place um do you think that writing journaling recreating your birth you know yeah writing your birth story can help to get you through the gates in terms of getting you to look at and analyze and think about it in a different way it depends Sure. I mean, you can write the story from the point of view of being in that revolving door, going back and forth, and just writing that story in and out of those two voices over and over for years, and basically get nowhere, and basically reinforce that you're you're a victim or you should have done something else. But if you have a writing process with kind of the huntress questions that, and and you can track you, your mind can stay focused and you can go forward then I think writing can help. But here again, you know, I have to be sensitive to the particular storyteller. Does she have enough experience with introspective personal work to do that? 
or is she young and she's never really looked at um, self, you know, with self-awareness at her mind, at her decisions, at her conditioning. She's never done it before. She might need some more help to do it. If she's fairly experienced at it, then she can take those skills into her birth work. So I think it depends. Mm-hmm. And I also find that, you know, the birth experience is not just carried in the mind, but also in the body, that we have mm-hmm. muscle memory. And are there some ways that a mom can help release that physical trauma from her body in order to integrate the healing? Hmm. You know, I saw that question, and I wondered about that. Um, I I am also aware that the body holds the story, and that when a person verbally tells their story, their body can go into different memory um, reactions, you know, talking faster, the heart can race, things like that. Um, so it tells me that if there was some body work being done simultaneously, that it might also help um, help release some of the, the, the pent-up tension. You know, when a person has trauma, one of two things happens. They get stuck in parasympathetic or unsympathetic um, kind of drive. So they might be stuck in this kind of racing forward, trying to, you know, run, attack, you know, uh, outrun their feelings of the, the story. Or they might be in crouching kind of withdrawal, retreat from the story, hiding from it, numbing, being feeling numb. So it seems to me that, I mean, this is not my area, of, I've thought a lot about it, that there might be some way to balance a person if they're on one, one end of that spectrum to have them do more of the opposite activity to help balance the story, the story, you know, the body mm-hmm. and, the, mm-hmm. and the story work. Yeah, so I think there is some, there's some place for that work. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, and the reason I put that question in there is because and this might be helpful to you. I don't know, but um, <laughs> during so I and I so I, my daughter is ten years old, and um, after she was born, I then did my doula training. And and during the doula training, one of the things that we do is we do the comfort measures and we recreate, right? So we take turns being the mom and being the the doula and being the the, the you know the partner, um, mm-hmm. and we were recreating a scenario where I was like, okay, I'll be the birth mom. And I had given birth maybe two years before, uh-huh. shortly for that. Um, and I, it, I did not have a traumatic birth, but it was hard and it was intense and it was not what I was expecting and what I was prepared for, which is usually the case, right? Because birth does right. its own thing. Yeah. So it was still a very intense situation for me. And I found that mm-hmm. when I recreated, when I sat down, I was like, okay, I'll do the mom and pretend I'm having contractions. The, what, what my body did, like, I was transported to the birth. Like, just by sort of kneeling over a birth ball and just, like, I'm going to pretend I'm having contractions. It, I was shaking and sweaty by the end. And it was in five minutes, mm-hmm. right? So that was a very powerful moment that stuck with me. But I do feel that something was released then because it was easier afterwards. Oh, uh huh. Yeah, that's a very good story. So there's an anecdote for you. And that's why I asked the question um, to know if you had any more insight into that. Um, but it seems like something to well, further look at. Well, one of the things I do in my birth story process is we start. Um, um, 
we start the session by having the person tune in to what their body feels like mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of the session to tune into without changing anything, without relaxing or any of that kind of thing. And when they're telling the story or answering some of our, our kind of specific questions, if they notice a change in their body, sort of like what you were describing, uh, maybe they have a sudden headache or they're suddenly short of breath. Sometimes we can actually see it. We can actually see that that's happening. Sometimes we can't tell. Um, to notice what was going on when that physical change started to happen. What were they talking about? What were they telling themselves? Because at that point, I think the body and words come together, and we can, we can, it gives us a cue that something that we're telling that seems ordinary and not that significant must be very significant if the body is having a, re- a memory that's mm-hmm. expressed right during the storytelling. So, but we don't tell them to do anything with it except pay attention to it because that's telling us this must be something important. Um, but if we try to help them relax or get rid of the feeling, it's almost like saying the feeling is wrong when actually it's, 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 it's giving us a, a, a cue that something important is happening. It's more important rather than relaxing or making it go away is to notice when does it go away in the session. Like at what point is it when you have a new belief? Is it when you have some self-forgiveness? Is it when um, the story listener gives you a metaphor that helps you see your story in a new way? At what point does that symptom resolve? Rather than trying to resolve it with your ego because somehow it's not supposed to be there. Right. That's one, that's one thing I would think about. Yeah, and, it's, and it seems that it's all about you know, facing up to what's been happening and acknowledging being a physical sensation sensation or an emotional sensation. If, you know, some part of it makes you really sad, then look into it more. Just exactly. as if, if what you're telling your body's reacting, look into it more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Pam, mm-hmm. Is there a way for moms to prepare in a different manner for birth to try to prevent birth trauma? That's a very good question. And I spend a great deal of time asking people from where did this belief, which which is related to their uh, postpartum suffering, come. And a lot of times it comes from... Um, an expectation that that birth or themselves or someone will be different in birth than they actually are. Now, so I would say that preparation should not be idealistic. Um, I'm, I find that people, the more idealistic the childbirth class or book that they read was, the more trauma the person has. The more of the adages that birth is natural, my body knows how to give birth, Kind of that kind of vein. And if I don't read the scary chapters and I don't hear scary stories and I don't ask questions about what to do if I have an epidural or a cesarean, then I, then I won't have one. I can just make my birth. So it's kind of what I call magical thinking. And those women are prone to having the most serious birth trauma because they were in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And but the bubble. This is the important part, is because they're telling themselves, and again, they won't know this until they have someone who knows to guide them. Why is it important to take a class or to do a hypnosis or, um, or have some kind of an approach 
where you don't feel any pain, where you don't cry out, where you don't have any intervention. Why is it so important that, that whatever that, that goal is, why is that goal important to you? And the reason is because based on how that person is conditioned to think about life or themselves or other women, they believe that if they do this certain undesirable forbidden thing, it'll mean they are weak or they are um, uh, they were they missed their rite of passage or they weren't a good mother. So what they're really trying to avoid with this kind of you know avoidance preparation is having people think of them as weak or maybe having to think about themselves as being weak or being bad mothers. So so in terms of your, your question is a really important one, how to prevent birth trauma. Um, I think it's, it's complicated. It's very hard to answer in a short interview. Um, I don't know if you can completely prevent it, but can you? But can you decrease it by having much more compassionate childbirth preparation, where you really come away from it feeling that um, no matter what happens, I'm going to do my best, and it's not a reflection of me being strong or weak or good or bad. I am worthy no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And that is very powerful, very powerful, because, yeah, I, I find that more and more we control so many things in our lives. We yeah. have so many choices and we can, you know, we can get it down to if you want to buy a, you know, little bear with blue ears and a pink dress, you can find that, right? And you, you not, not only find it, but do you want it with polka dots or without it? <laughs> Exactly. So we're not used to facing big challenges that we can't just whisk away. Mm-hmm. And and that is and birth is a big big challenge that we can't control. Exactly. So and that's the reason I'm really opposed to the birth plan because so many people use it in a sort of a linear black and white way. I mean, even if they think they're being open-minded, it's kind of what you said. It's like that idea. We can just order up anything we want. It, it is kind of like that. And then mm-hmm. when, we, when we order it up and nothing, like, nothing happens, there's a question of, what did I do wrong? Why didn't this happen? Or my birth the plan's out really, the window. Yeah, the question is, well, why did you write a birth plan in the first place? That's the real question. Who wrote that birth plan? Was it the child who thought they wouldn't be heard that was scared of uncertainty? So they thought that by putting it in writing like everything else that's legal and contractual in our culture, it would increase the likelihood of it happening or maybe even make it happen? I mean, who wrote that birth plan? Which part of you wrote that birth plan? And it's always the child. Your the inner child, child you mean? Yes, the, yeah, the child archetype, the child, inner child. It's a part of us that feels powerless. We can't just trust that we can communicate or decide in the moment. We have to do all this, you know, trying to control fate, like you said. Uh, if it worked, I would be all for it. But in my work, because I'm a birth story listener, I'm telling you, it does not work. Hmm. And um, there's so much trauma around that. But it's not the birth plan. It's that the, chi- that the child was never, there was no adult to help that child person, mother, father, if you will, and I don't mean this in a critical way, but kind of grow up, archetypally speaking, and give them the skills to deal with uncertainty. 
that's what we have to deal with. So when, when childhood classes don't help people deal with uncertainty, and they create this picture of you are powerful and you, and you are empowered and you can do it and your body knows how to give birth and all, every kind of other promise there are, they're actually setting the stage for birth trauma because in this culture, you know, very few people experience that kind of fantasy birth that they're talking about. Well, and it's it's hard to bring it together with, you know, the reality of the medical system where we are that's so technocratic, where yeah. intrinsically, as a patient, you're not quite being hurt. And and furthermore, exactly. as, as a birthing mom, you're not, you know, you're, you, you're quote unquote a patient just because you've been admitted to the hospital, but it's not a medical situation that you have. It's, you know, it's not an emergency, it's an emergence. <laughs> Um, so it's, that puts it up, already sets the stage in a way that is tough. Exactly. So wouldn't it be better to tell a mom and a dad, for that matter, not, not this fantasy of that you have rights and you can speak up and ask for what you want, but to tell them the truth that, well, here's some ways you can ask, but you need to understand that in many situations you won't be heard because of, of the, just because of where birth is at in our culture, so that they're not expecting it to be a certain thing. And it's not your fault when they can't listen. It's not your fault if they do listen and you can't have what you want because, because maybe there are circumstances. So to, to take them, to kind of hold the, to give them reality, that they're, rather than this, this fantasy, now, of course, when they're pregnant, they might feel a little more uneasy about that, right? So one of the things that we do is we think, well, if I can make her feel really relaxed and trusting and calm and happy and confident, she'll birth normally. Well, that's really naive thinking because now she's thinking that she can do all these things and she's all powerful and birth is going to be empowering and then all this stuff happens to her and afterwards she is triple drop traumatized because she actually believed that she was powerful and that she had a voice and she could ask for what she wants and that she would be empowered and now she feels completely ravished by the whole experience. So how is that helpful? So if, if she was told, there'll be moments when you do things that you don't expect, there'll be moments other people do things you don't expect. Um, you may choose things now you think you would never choose. You may, the things you thought you would never choose may turn out to be really the, something you really feel good about. Um, you know, to give her, to keep her in the place of really being open, not just to saying be open, but to have her experience in her mind uncertainty and, and to take her to a place that is not your fault before she gives birth. Anyway, I mean... Yeah, it, I think it, this would be huge. It's huge. Well, I'm 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 quiet because I'm thinking. So many things are going through my mind because mm -hmm. it, it's that whole uncertainty and unpredictable reality. It doesn't mean that every birth is going to be bad, and there aren't those births. They are there are those births where a mom, you know, feels powerful and heard and and taken care of and all these great things. Mm -hmm. Um. So there's, I, I don't want to make it a doomsday either of like, you know, it's always going to be crappy, so get ready for it. Well, kind of thing. But, uncertainty isn't, but uncertainty isn't doomsday, it's reality. Mm -hmm. 
it's not promising that things will go bad, but the uncertainty means that there may be a moment, not the whole birth, mm-hmm. when you do something you thought you would never do, when you have to make a decision you thought you would not have to make. So you're bringing it down to singular moments rather than the entire birth was screwed. It's more like there may be a moment that you are not expecting or you do something you thought you would never do. Mm-hmm. And that's really different than painting a grim, grim picture of everything going wrong. Yeah, and I do, like, yeah, I can hear from my experience some, you know, I have had moms that had, it, it is about expectations, right? And what you think you'll, mm-hmm. how, how invested or how important those things are. And it goes back to what you were saying of why is that so important to you? And I've had moms who have been elated and super happy and fantastically happy with the birth that had, you know, assisted delivery with forceps. Mm-hmm. And it's more like, yeah, that part kind of sucked. I didn't mean, I wasn't the greatest, but my birth was fantastic. So mm-hmm. it is I can I can hear I can understand and appreciate the the uncertainty mm-hmm. part. Um it's mm-hmm. a it's that delicate balance though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it has to be said by a person who is mature. Mm-hmm. And who understands that that's kind of actually not a promise, it, it's reality. Mm-hmm. So if you, the other thing you can think about is this. So we think about a lot of times the birth story is defined by the outcome. Right. Um, how she birthed. Was it vaginally or by cesarean? Was it naturally or was it with drugs? Was it was the baby this way or that way, you know, healthier and, and needed some kind of intervention or something? So we, we actually, that's the medical story that's so dominant in our culture. All right, so when we define a birth story by the outcome, we teach that way. We listen for that. We, a mother tells her story, her social story, based on her outcome. She'll say, I gave birth by cesarean. That's her first sentence. I'm like, well, that's not your birth story. That's your outcome. Mm-hmm. Or I was induced. Well, that's not your birth story. That's, your, that's, your, that's your, one of your interventions. And then she goes, oh. You know, she doesn't even, so the same thing happens with preparation. When people are trying to um, create preparation, they're trying to create, they're focusing on a particular outcome. And what I'm saying is, that this whole labor is this like a string of beads. Um, and there's all these different singular moments that create the whole pattern of that necklace of birth. And what we, what we always look at is the last bead, or the one, maybe the center bead. <laughs> the one that's, mm-hmm. But there's all these other moments. And so when we prepare for birth, if we can prepare for uncertainty with looking at all these different beads, that there's going to be some moments when someone shows up for you the way you hoped they would, or someone you thought would show up for you doesn't show up for you the way you... It could be that rather than just the outcome. Um, you know, you might be expecting... You know, the, the, the thought about being present at your birth, what you think that that means before you give birth might have a completely different meaning after you give birth, and you really understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So when I'm talking about uncertainty, I'm not saying confusion through the whole birth. I'm talking about the, the less concrete a woman feels or envisions her birth, the better off she's going to be. The more concrete and specific she, she paints her picture, 
the more chance you have of being traumatized because it's very unlikely that her fantasy will become reality or somebody, her teacher's fantasy of birth will become her reality. And if she can stay in the place of, anyway, it's a rite of passage. And when you have a rite of passage, one of the defining qualities of a rite of passage is uncertainty. And in the face of uncertainty, finding your spontaneous strength of doing the one forbidden thing, the one thing you thought you could never do, that is the rite of passage. I mean, the rite of passage isn't birthing normally without making a peep and getting everything on your birth plan. That's not a rite of passage. Yeah, well, I, and I always say that birth is so such an immense and intense experience because it has to have a physical manifestation that's equivalent to the impact of transformation that's happening to yourself from, you know, oh, individual to nice. parent. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Now, see, that's spoken from wisdom. That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and that's... And I find that that's what happens with moms who have a birth that's too quick, that that can be really traumatic because they didn't yes, get can. the, yeah, they didn't have the mind, you know, her, the body went and the mind didn't have a chance to catch up. And, 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 well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't get all those, those juicy hormones kind of really super high in the body. So, um, um. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. that's, that's one of those things that everybody says, oh, you're so lucky, and then they're like, well, I don't know, and then yeah. it had its ups and downs there. Um, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Pam, this has been delightful. We've gone on for, it's been a great chat. Um, oh, it's been wonderful. <laughs> it's been wonderful to kind of explore these, this huge topic. Huge topic. Um, if listeners want to Stay in touch with you, contact you, or just follow what you're doing. And you know, what can they do? Um, they can they can sign up for our newsletter or um, uh, at birthingfromwithin.com, and also find out about workshops or even my, I have a birth story listening course I teach for eight weeks, and then there's an advanced course. So if they were interested in taking a birth story listening course, they could sign up for it at birthingfromwithin.com. Fantastic. And you have a Facebook page too, as well. I, there is a Facebook page. Okay. And if also if someone wanted to do a birth story session with me privately, I can do them by Skype or phone. Fantastic. So I will yeah. put all those links on the show notes. And thank you so, so much for oh, talking thank you. to me. Yay. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. And remember to take advantage of the Mother's Day sale for my Thrive With Your Newborn postpartum preparation classes going on until May 4th. Use the code MOTHER on checkout at birthfulcourses.com. And if you are in Northern California, this is your last call to come spend the day with me on May 10th for an advanced doula workshop. Go to birthful.com slash workshop to learn more and register. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful Megan Othling, the people at Expectful, and the people at Simply Breastfeeding. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Huggy Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful podcast is part of the Parents on Demand network. Find out more at parentsondemand.com.
I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me Friday when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast because physiology works. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>